You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking with leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to the unedited version of my conversation with Derek Ingram. He is a coach for the Canada national team and has so much to bring to the table. So we're going to listen to the whole conversation. We had the edited version just a, a few days ago. This is everything. We dive into all kinds of things around data that we didn't get to in the first episode and some training techniques and thoughts around more thoughts around golf swing and, and some technique training. So there's so much good stuff packed in here by Derek. This episode is sponsored by the Whoop Fitness Tracker. Make sure to check out what they're doing and use the code GSL to get 15% off. I've gotten so many messages from people saying that they've picked up one of the Whoop bands and are tracking their strain, their recovery, and their sleep that it is. I, I was blown away, to be honest. So make sure to go check out what that is all about and use that coupon code when you pick up your own. My name is Derek Ingram. I'm the head coach for our national amateur team and young pro squad in Canada on the men's side. Also coach Corey Connors and Mackenzie Hughes on the PGA Tour and a uh, huge hockey fan. <laughs> There you go. I, I feel like you fit the stereotype on that one. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit too normal, maybe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So give us maybe like what's a week in the life or maybe a week is too small, but a month in the life of your role. Cause it sounds like a very unique and honestly really fun role that you have. Yeah, I've been very fortunate to be involved with Sport Canada and Golf Canada for 15 plus years now at one time as our junior team coach and then as our head coach for our women's side and now back as the head coach for our men's side. And so, you know, I travel extensively around the world, really uh, trying to lead and mentor our best young amateur and professional players in conjunction with a lot of, you know, important groups in Canada, provincial golf associations, you know, college coaches in the U.S. who our players might be, you know, uh, playing college at. And obviously the PGA of Canada who's in charge of education in Canada. So, I travel extensively. Uh, I also I'm on the PGA Tour a little bit with Corey and Mac, really just trying to be the best coach and leader and mentor that I can to help our players uh, have international results and, and move up the ladder. Could you kind of paint a picture? So, you know, a lot of our audience is based in the States here and wherever they're at and they think of a golf instructor or a coach and they think of that role as somebody who's on a driving range working on a golf swing, you know, with a golfer at the club. Could you paint the picture of what coach means in your sense in your role yeah i mean certainly that's a big part of it cordy where i i i love to get my spikes dirty and i'm I, i'm the first guy at the golf course and one of the last guys to leave but i also i also i'm in charge of our travel of our amateur team i also work with a sports psychologist uh, dr adrian leslie tugid she works with our, our men's program and our phys a physiotherapist and strength and conditioning coach greg redmond so i I'm the captain of the team there building programs year long and multi-year programs for our players, including schedule planning and any single part of the game and really try and help them move from where they are to where they want to go. And ultimately, in many cases, that's the PGA Tour. So here's our goal today is you guys have more players than ever on the PGA Tour right now. And our goal is to kind of dig into the program the system, the processes, the coaching, the training, like everything that you guys do to develop 
players and hopefully get some really cool insights and you know tidbits that people can go out and implement and utilize themselves. So take us through, you know, a couple of players. I know you've worked with Corey a lot. Like take us through the story of, of one of your players of like, what does it mean to go through the, the, you know, the Team Canada program? Well, I would say, you know, Corey's a really, he's a prime example. Entered our junior team, became one of the top and best juniors in Canada. Actually, one of the best juniors in the world. Went to Kent State struggled originally uh, with that college transition for a year or two. And then, you know, as part of our amateur team and working, you know, at, at Kent State, he became one of the top amateur players in the world. We take his game anywhere in the world, literally, and uh, play in the biggest events in the world and have either win or have top five or 10 or 15 finishes. And then we helped Corey with that transition from amateur golf, high-level amateur golf to professional golf. And that really involved a year in the PGA Tour Canada, a year in uh, the PGA Tour Latin America, a year on the web.com tour. And then obviously his rookie year was not was last year in the PGA Tour. And then this unbelievable season this year where he happened to be in the top 30 at the Tour Championships and a, and a PGA Tour winner. And that just really nice ascension uh, up the world professional rankings. And all the time, Corey's had that same structure, a strength and conditioning coach, a physiotherapist, our uh, sports psychologist and myself as his, as his coach. Gotcha. Could you maybe go into some of the struggles in there? One of the most interesting things that I've found is people jumping levels, right? Going from where they're at to where they want to go is always difficult. So maybe go back. Let's just kind of maybe hone in on this story a little bit to start with, but like talk about some of those levels that, you know, you had to jump and skill levels you had to break through a little bit. Yeah. And, and you know, there really is Cordy, no skipping steps or, or uh, jumping, jumping. You can't bypass development. I mean, in the odd case, you get a player like a, you know, Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, and I'll probably throw a, a Matt Wolf and a Victor Hovland in, in there where they've, you know, they've, they've jumped from college golf to the PGA tour, but their skill level was so high that, you know, it wasn't like they skipped steps. They're just, their, their skill level grew over time to be the, you know, just unreal in college and have the same, the high abilities or skill level to be on the PGA tour. And in Corey's case, he was a very good junior player, but short, you know, as, as he matured and, and really fell in love with working out and taking care of his body, he started to develop some more speed, you know, and from a mental game standpoint, you know, Corey was a winner in junior golf and then he developed, you know, then he struggled in college a, a little bit. And I think that was good for him because you had to break through that ceiling and, and learn how to win in college and win the big amateur events and have success as an amateur player. And, you know, Corey got a lot of kicks in the butt before he got into the top you know, 30 in the world. I mean, he was in the final group in the Canadian amateur, I think four years in a three years in a row and never won it. And those were, those were tough years, you know, uh, cause that's the one term he really, really wanted to win. But, you know, we used some of the, those experiences of, of failing and, and not, you know, and, and maybe just not getting the result we wanted to springboard success at the U S amateur. And he had, you know, very good results at the U S amateur quarterfinalist one year and a, and a finalist uh, the, the next year, which got him into Augusta. And then even on the pro level, I mean, Corey never really won a tournament as a professional, played, you know, in Canada after being, you know, one of the top amateur players in the world for many years, you know, really struggled as a pro his first year and, and then just found his footing in PGA Tour Latin America, but never won, had a good season in the web.com tour, he's so consistent and then got his PGA Tour card and maybe a little early because we didn't win in the web.com tour, didn't win as a pro, but 
you know, got more comfortable on the PGA Tour and, and, and did win a tour school. So I guess we can call that one pro win. But then this year got more comfortable uh, with the best players in the world and then uh, obviously won in San Antonio and, and now is looking for, for more. So you work with the guys before they make it, right? Like that's a big chunk of your time. And you've seen, you know, the success and those that don't succeed. You've seen both. That's just naturally parts of, you know, what happens. Let's maybe talk a bit about some of maybe the, the habits or traits that you see in a guy like Corey in these guys that have continued to grow. What kind of stands out to you when you look at the sample size of all these guys that you've worked with as some of the traits of those that have succeeded and continued to grow? Great question there. You know, I look at Corey or McKenzie versus some players that maybe haven't made it yet. I would say the number one thing that stands out is their habits and routines in their daily life. You know, and I know you guys may want a sexier answer in terms of we got the shaft laid down on the way down a little bit better. We just happened to rotate and jump through impact a little bit better. And that made all the, you know, the biggest difference in the world. And and yeah, we work hard on, on you know, their technique and you know, we work hard in their short game and their putting. But Quite frankly, uh, Cordy, the number one reason I would say those guys are where they are is they just have better habits and routines than other players. I'll give you a simple example. If I call Corey Connors at 9.01 in the evening to talk about his round, I won't get an answer or a text message back. It doesn't matter what day of the week at 9.01, he'll be in bed sleeping. <laughs> and, hmm. so, and, you know, sometimes it's earlier. So, you know, his, his sleep habits are, are like an Olympic athlete. They're, they're extraordinary. You know, his workout routine, like this, it's layering good day after good day after good on good week on, on good week on good month on good week over the court or, or good month after the, honestly three, four, five, six, seven, eight years of, you know, doing very similar things that we know are working. And it doesn't mean we don't put a bullet in some, some drills. I mean, I'll give you a small example. You know, Corey loves in his putting drills, you know, he loves to do the stuff that makes him comfortable. So he, you know, he'll, he'll spend half an hour on the chalk line, right to left, left to right center, you know, just fine tuning that start line and he'll, he'll spend, he'll spend a lot of time and he's very comfortable at it. And, you know, I'll be like, you know, Corey, we're not going to get one putt today on the course with a chalk line. So let's get off this for a little bit. And, and yeah, we have to do our maintenance practice. And I think maintenance practice is, you know, for start line and, you know, faith control and speed control is really important, but we also have to make the game in our practice very similar to what we're going to have on the golf course. And so, you know, I tried to cause, you know, uh, cause him a little way more to be way more uncomfortable in this practice and do a little bit of that where you can go home and touch home base for five minutes or seven minutes. But I want to, I want to challenge you. I want to make it really hard. I want to piss you off and frustrate you in your practice. So then when we get out there in tournaments and we have those same situations, uh, we're going to deal with them a lot better. Hey, I love that story. That strikes home with me. <laughs> um, so, okay. So we've got, you know, some habits outside of golf, like, you know, whether it's, you know, in the gym with training, whether it's sleep, things like that. What about habits, you know, on the golf course or with practice or with, you know, getting ready for, for tournament play? Like what around there strikes you? Yeah, I like that. I like, you know, as, as we get closer to the tournament. So, We'll just take a, a tournament week as an example, Cordy, and then we can talk about, you know, amateur golf possibly, you know, a month out. But if we take a tournament week, you know, on Monday, there may be, you know, some short game practice and maybe nine holes. And 
you know, Tuesday possibly is an 18 hole day with a good practice after. But as we start to get closer to the tournament day on Thursday, I'm going to try and have a little bit less quantity of practice and a higher quality. And so we might start to taper that a little bit in terms of the amount of practice, but I want that practice to be more like the game. So uh, we'll set up either on flight scope or track man or foresight. We'll, we'll, we'll set up tests, you know, in terms of iron play or t-ball tests or wedge tests. And I, I love our guys. I love testing our guys and challenging them and, and saying, okay, well, if we can't get, you know, 93 in this test, we're going to do it again. You know, we're not going to beat their head into the ground on Wednesday with 12 tests, but we are going to certainly have a certain amount of challenges or tests to really, you know, get them thinking about, hey, it's about scoring. It's about playing. And we might do more of our technique work on Tuesday or, or, or Monday. And, and that doesn't mean we won't do some maintenance work or some, you know, really solidifying what our game plan is from a technique standpoint on Wednesday. But I want to get into play mode on Wednesday and, and have more challenges, you know, more testing or more game-like experiences simulation. Gotcha. Any separators on the golf course or in that kind of area between these guys that have made it and these guys that have not made it that jump out to you? Is there anything that you can think of off your top of your head there? It's like golf related factors between those that have made it and have not. The ability to strike the ball nowadays is just so critical. If you're not, I mean, Corey's one of the top ball strikers in the game. If you look at his stats from a from the from a driving standpoint and an iron play, you know he he's just one of the top ball hitters in the game. And so having that ability to hit the ball in the middle of the club face virtually every time, so your distance control is good and your directional control is good. I mean, obviously that's very important. I mean, that, that's that's an understatement. But people have different methods in terms of how they how they produce great results and how they win. If you look at a guy like Matt Kutcher, he's a lot shorter and he does he does some of his his work with with the putter. You know, and you look at some of the longer guys, they, they do it, you know, by driving it super far and, and taking advantage of some wedges and maybe they don't putt that good. Or, and some guys maybe do it with the short game. So I think it's really important to find your recipe and then really work your recipe. And, and again, we're trying to get, five, you know, 0.5% better or 1% better. I mean, these are the top, top players in the game. Maybe in our amateur team, we're trying to get 5% better. But, you know, in our young pro squad, maybe we're trying to get 2% better. But on, in our, on the PJ Tour, you're trying to get 0.5% better and really fine-tune that. And uh, I'll use an example uh, of McKenzie. If we hit a few more greens in regulation, then he's going he's gonna to have, he's obviously going to make more money. He's going to be more, more in contention and he's going to have, uh, you know, greater chances to win. So, you know, same with, with Corey. I mean, if Corey putts a little bit better, we're going to have more chances to win. So I think, but in terms of a separator, hitting the ball far, obviously that's been beaten to death. you got to hit it far. I think the other thing is, is hitting it straight. So if you don't hit it far, you got to be really straight. You know, you got a choice. You either got to be super straight or you got to be long and long and straight's even deadlier. <laughs> but but there's other ways to play the game and not everybody is, is pounding it and winning in the PGA Tour, but it does seem like it's it's trending that way. Let's talk about some of the, you know, habits you're trying to get the, the folks on your young pro squad, you know, that they're not quite there yet. You know, what are some of the things, the key things that you're working on with them to try to get them to level up? We're big in stats and analyzing their game from their stats. We use we our team uses shot by shot from Peter Sanders. There's other great programs out there, and you know it's highly individual to the player. Cordy, some some guys need to drive the ball better. Other guys need to iron it better, and uh, other guys you know need to improve their putting or short game. So it's highly specific to the player. But I think it's it's really important to drive the ball and play. That, that's that's really key. So 
Yeah, I'll use Taylor Taylor Pendrith as a really nice example. Taylor is in the top five in the order of merit in the PGA Tour Canada. He's got a ball speed in the one eighty to one eighty five zone. You know, just just a standard stock shot is 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 one eighty two or one eighty three. And so with Taylor, we have to get you know we have to work on a second serve. So it, it might be a three wood off the tee or or possibly a two or a three iron. So. If it's a narrow course or the rough super long, well, we might drive it and wedge it on the green. But we also want to get balls in play, we, and we cannot afford to make uh, you know to have penalty strokes. So in, in Taylor's situation, we work a lot on tee ball, and obviously we work a lot on wedge game. The courses on the Web.com tour or the K, KFT tour, and even the PGA Tour Canada, they're short, and there's a significant amount uh, of wedge play. And so I'm always uh, either using a trackman flight scope combine you know or or foresight going down and or putting cones on the range and you know at, at 40 to 110 yards or sometimes five yard increments and having to try play a game i call getting it wrong to get it right where they're trying to hit it if it's if it's 80 yards they're trying to hit 179 the next one 81 and then try and fly at the number 80 then we move on to the next target so that, there's a, a small example of you know some of the stuff will, will grind away on, on their wedge player or, or their t-ball so Obviously not on PJ Tour. So what do you all use for stats tracking and what do you have found best for, for looking at some of that data? Yeah, we use Shot by Shot, website shotbyshot.com. Peter Sanders is a, is a developer of that. There's a strokes gained uh, component to that. You know, there's other excellent stat guys like Lou and and uh, certainly Mark Brody. Those guys are unreal. But we've just been in the habit of using, uh, of using Shot by Shot and and Peter Sanders has been a great resource for our players and me as a coach because he also works with PGA Tour players. And and so we're, we're obviously we're aware of we're trying to get better at being themselves. It's it's really key to be the best version of yourself. But then we're also in, in you know, looking down the road and what, what's what kind of skills and habits are going to what kind of game are we going to need to be successful in the PGA Tour? What stat do you find yourself looking at the most for players? Is there any anyone that stands out? to you is one that you always find yourself checking and talking to guys about? Yeah, there's two that, that stand out mistakes off the tee. So penalties, straight sideways, chip outs, you know, th- that's number one. Cause it's, it's highly unlikely a player can be a great player. If he's making mistakes off the tee, you can be short and still, and cause, cause every player in the PGA tour averages under par from the fairway. So if they put it in the fairway, they're good. They're really good. All 200 guys averages under par from the fairway. So obviously being long is key, but if you're long and, and making mistakes off the tee, it's tough to score. And the second thing I look at is, is putts inside of 10 feet, specifically really, really that three to 10 feet because so few people miss inside of three feet. It's not really a, an area that you're going to gain a ton of strokes, but from, th- you know, from four feet to 10 feet, you know, Peter would say to me, Derek, the difference between a good putter and a bad putter is somebody between zero and 10 feet. And then the difference between guys who win on tour is the guys from 11 feet to 20 feet. They, they make the most what you classify as birdie putts or, you know, those makeable birdie putts that week. But you can't be a good putter if you're, if you're bad inside of 10 feet. You can be, you can, but you can be, if you're solid inside of 10 feet, you can be a good putter. But the guys who win generally are the best ball strikers who happen to putt well from 10 to 25 or 10 to 20 feet. So if you're looking at my data and saw that I struggled in those two areas, what would be your go-tos for, for helping me improve those those two data points any go-to drills or concepts or anything that you explain on a regular basis yeah first we take a look at your your you know if it's if it's mistakes off the tee we take a look at your technique and make sure that you know 
make sure you're moving the ball. If you're, if you're a guy who moves it one way or the other way consistently, we make sure your, your uh, ball flight is repeatable. And, you know, I, I love, uh, I mean, a simple drill. I like if a guy, I'll put an alignment stick on the target line up in front of the, the you know, in front of the tee ball, maybe 15 feet. And I'll have them, if they're working cuts, I'll have them start at left and, and just work a cut to the target line or, or the opposite with a draw. It may be a situation they're they're being too aggressive off the tee, and it might be more three woods or two irons off the, or hybrids off the tee, and so there could be something in their technique that really stands out. It could be they're being too aggressive. In some cases, maybe they're not being aggressive enough and taking advantage of their of their uh, their distance on the putting. First, we're going to make sure they've got the correct face control. Some start line maintenance drills with gates is uh, you know is probably really important because honestly. That's one of the biggest things inside of 10 feet, you know, is it's start line and then green reading. And we teach all our guys aim point. Some use it. Some just use the principles to be a better green reader. And then obviously, uh, obviously speed control. So one of my favorite drills there, I'll have them uh, hit putts from uh, three, four and five feet in a north, south, east, west. So there's 12 putts there. Got to make 12, 12 out of 12. If the greens are good, if the greens are brutal maybe 11 out of 12. Simple drill inside of five feet. I do another drill, nine to 11, where we take them around the green. I'm with them. I'll pick the putt. So it's never the same break. It's never the same putt, often never the same length. So they're always having to practice reading the green, you know, and then trying to make a putt between nine and 11 feet. And you get two points for a make and you get zero points for a two putt, no leaving it short. And so what's good there, you know, if you can get nine to 11 feet, if you can make if you can get 10 points with 10 putts, it's good putting. Really good. Have you seen that most players are just pretty good at their approach game? Is that why these two stats kind of, you know, jump out? Or any insights into why, you know, is, is just chipping pretty good? And, you know, it leads to, you know, you got to get these short putts in or any insight into why it's these these two? Well, I guess green, you know, I, I probably just skipped over greens and regulation, yeah. which, which is huge. Yeah. But I thought it's tough to hit greens and regulation, both from heavy rough or when you're chipping out. So that's one of the reasons why I thought, you know, I, I, that maybe jumps out is I, I, I check mistakes off the tee or tee balls in play. The short game's important to a point. And, you know, I want my guys to tidy up their short game and I want them to be, you know, good around the greens, but I want them to hit more greens and more fairways so they have to ship and, and pitch less. It's really important from a momentum standpoint, short game. But I, I would say out of the major stack categories, uh, Cordy on the PGA Tour, you know, driving uh, strokes, strokes gain, approach stake, strokes gain, and then putting and short game. I put short game as, as the least important. But for some players, it may be, you know, really important. Again, it's highly individualized. But so, yeah, I and and I do feel... Again, from a momentum standpoint, or you get it up beside a par five, and you, you know you, if your short game's good or your bunker play's good, it can certainly save some, some shots. But you know, uh, tee ball and, and approach play is is where it's at. I love that you have kind of you know picked out those two. I think it's awesome. Anytime you can focus in and create challenges and you know monitor data specifically and and work on improving stuff. Have you found? you know, good success with looking at a, you know, piece of data, like, you know, in the fairway or in the rough or looking at that kind of um, strokes gained off the tee data and monitoring that and watching players grow. Has that been helpful for you as you, as you coach players to have the specific thing you're looking at and trying to improve? It has. And, you know, guys like Mark Brody, who, 
you know, who've have like just opened up the can on on stats and made us aware of where PGA Tour players are gaining the most amount, and you know, has been great for a coach like myself and our players. A long player, I'm not overly concerned about fairways because unless they're playing the PGA Tour, the rough is significant in some in on some courses. You know, it's it's t- I, I use the word tee balls in play. You know, and and so if you can get the if they're super long and they can get the ball in play, then they're going to have shorter irons in and possibly wedges and sand wedges from the rough. It's still scorable, and then when they do hit the fairway, it's it's almost like cheating. But for shorter players or you know medium length players, you know they don't have the speed to to get it down possibly to pitching wedge, nine iron, sand wedge, and so now all of a sudden they're hitting you know six iron, seven iron, possibly five iron. From the rough, it's tough to score from there. So they really have to hit fairways. They really got to get the ball in play because they can, if they have the ball in the short stuff, they can be extremely good with a six, five, seven iron out of the fairway. And, uh, compared to a guy who's hitting maybe nine iron from the rough. And Peter had this cool stat a few years ago. He shared with me that, you know, you can give up 50 yards off the tee in terms of proximity to the hole on your second shot from the fairway versus the rough. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it really is. Like and I was like fifty yards, Peter, and yeah, and that was a few years ago. But he'd worked it out on tour that yeah. So a guy drives it fifty yards further in the rough versus a person who's fifty yards shorter. They're going to have the exact same roughly proximity to the hole on their on their approach shot. Interesting, interesting. Ferries are valuable. Yes, particularly for short players. Love it. Shifting gears a little bit here. What about uh, working on golf swing, working on on technique? Have there been any trends that you've seen as you've worked with these guys, you know, on on the teams that you do? Any kind of overarching, you know, I don't know, like you use a lot of body track, obviously. So are you using a lot of, you know, kind of that feedback or, you know, anything stand out? Well, now I think we just have so much more information that we used to have uh, than than we used to have. And so... I love I love gathering all that information. I'm a guy who loves to get them on the body track, who you know wants to see their track matter, their radar numbers, or their you know, their foresight. I love using I use KVEST. You know, three uh, the the AMM obviously system is brilliant. It was great, but uh, you know I use KVEST. What else do we use? I mean, it was uh, a bunch of a plethora of stuff for putting. But you know, I found that ground usage has really made a big difference in some players. And I'll use Corey as a as a quick example. You know, Corey's always had great hands. He's a bit of a handle puller, so he gets a little bit steep sometimes in transition and then he has to stop and, and flip. But he's got great hands and great timing and he hits it flush every time. But you know, I noticed that just from using the body track that he would he would shift into his back leg early, pressure into the back leg or trail, I guess I should say, early. But then as the arms got to get, you know, to like the three quarter position or even a little bit further, he started to get loaded a fair amount on his front leg early in the, sometimes earlier in the backswing. And so then in the downswing, he would have to shift back to the trail foot and when hitting. And that, you know, really caused a fair amount of, you know, rotation in the hitting area and, you know, some thin shots, some overhooks, some shots that started way too far right. And so, you know, with the body track, that was one thing that we, you know, we tried to get that pressure back so that he can get the pressure through. And, and simple thing like trying to get pressure back and pressure through, pressure back in the backswing and pressure through in the in the downswing made a gigantic impact on his ball hitting. Like just such a huge difference. And before, you know, I, I'd looked at that swing in video and I you know, had some pretty good 3D stuff, but I, I honestly, I didn't, I didn't notice it. So, 
that's a pretty good example there. Like he's so much better, so much a better ball striker and so consistent and hits it so much further with less effort. And, and that tool was really useful for us. Do you find yourself using a lot of pressure feedback lately, maybe more than, than other kinds of feedback? At certain times of the year, I like to use, I like, to, you know, in the off season or when we have time, I like to gather a lot of information and I like that information for myself. Cordy, I, I, I don't often share it with the player. Sometimes I do. And, and depending on the individual, they may love it. And so I might, and they might be able to feed through all that information and, and uh, you know, with my help, pick one or two things. But some, some guys, it just, uh, they don't want it, you know, they don't. And so I, I use it for myself and for our team. Like I said, some players I'll, I'll share, but share it with, with them. And, but then I like to develop a plan based on having all that information, talking to the physiotherapist, the strength and conditioning coach, and, and really knowing that player. And I like to deliver that plan on my own. In season, if they're not hitting it good, I'll pull the technology out or we'll, you know, we'll, we'll relook at things. But, and, or if we have the appropriate break, but sometimes, you know, we'll just, we'll just work with what we have. Gotcha. I guess transitioning again. So we've, we've talked about maybe some of the data you're looking at, some of the golf swing stuff you're looking at. What about outside of golf? What are you seeing are keys for these, for these young tour pros, for these, you know, the national AM team outside of golf? What are some of the keys for them to keep getting better? I would say fitness has become so much more important in terms of developing power in the game. And I would suggest that it's also equally as important to be from an injury prevention standpoint and a lifestyle standpoint, just feeling good, you know, having a clear mind, being happy to, you know, just feeling great about not only how you look, but more importantly, how you feel because looking is important, but feeling great is really key. So I would say that's that's one thing that's really important. Having a bit of a team feel, I, I think that's one of the things we do really well in Canada, players who are part of our national team, or just even if you weren't part of our national program, you know, you feel, you know, you feel like, oh, I'm, uh, I've got guys to play with and practice with and, and guys to go for dinner with in the evenings. And I think that's really important because it's, as you know, it's a, it's a lonely life out there. And you know, in golf, they practice and spend so much time by themselves. I think it's really important to have a, a peer group, a friendship group, a, a coaching staff, a really a team feel. And I think the guys in the PGA Tour and even in the Canadian Tour and, and, and the Corn Ferry Tour have, have started to do a really good job of that. I have guys to play practice rounds with. I know I can have uh, have dinner with with friends. And when things aren't going well, I have time. I have an opportunity to talk to people. I think those are things outside of golf that are very important. Absolutely. Maybe, uh, you know, talking a little bit about the planning that you do for players. So for some of these guys that are in skill development mode, right, they're on the national AM team or they're, you know, they're on a mini tour somewhere. They're not quite there skill wise. Maybe talk about some of the practice plans that you help create for these players or a program that you would lay out for, for somebody. So, uh, off weeks or yeah. So off weeks, maybe just, um, Maybe start big picture, start yeah. talking about periodization a little bit, and then let's dive in uh, more detailed. Cool. So we'll do analysis when we first get, you know, maybe a player just enters our team or who's been on the team for a year or two. Obviously, we'll, we need to analyze the last year or two and and see, you know, really what their strengths are and what their area, you know, their top areas of improvement are. And, you know, I feel like it's important to to know the, both those. And I want to know what they what they feel about it. I mean, 
I want to know what they feel like are their strengths and, and their areas that they feel are, are top areas of improvement. And then I want to match that with the data we see because sometimes they like to BS us. Or maybe they're not truly aware of what are their key things that they need to improve on. So big picture, we, we bring all the, uh, our team together, sports psychologist, strength and conditioning coach, physiotherapist, myself. If they have a personal coach or provincial coach or a college coach, we want to get as much information about the player and really talk to the player as well and get to know them. And then start to build a plan based on their needs. Very highly individual plan based on their needs. I'll use a player without a name on our on our national amateur team. Great player, very competitive, had some excellent results. Not long enough to play the PGA Tour. You know, over the next year or two, work in the gym, possibly work with the speed sticks, you know, developing so he has a ball speed in the, you know, very minimum, you know, 110. And I would say that number is growing. Sorry, that swing speed, uh, ball speed in the 165, 167, you know, but really getting it north of 170 ball speed. So he has an opportunity to play this game at a high level. So that, that would become a, automatically a top priority for that player, even though we still want to get some results as an amateur player and, and you know, move up the world rankings and, uh, and you know, we're, we're trying to transition into the professional game in a year or two. So, but that, that might be a good example of one player who, wow, on our, he needs to get longer. And we need, this is a, a top priority in the next year or two. And every player has you know, several things that they need to do better. And they have some things that they're already really strong at. And we want to, we want to continue to polish those strengths. You, you can't, you, you have to realize you got to practice your strengths and keep those strong while getting better in those areas that you need to, to uh, improve at. And so I think a lot of times people will just focus all of our attention on, on getting better in, in some in some areas that we're weaker at. And then all of a sudden we take a strength, something that, that helped you get to be one of the top amateur players in the world. And it's it's gotten weaker and weaker. And now, you know, especially if it's a, it's a T-ball as an example. So they're weaker in that area. And that's, that's far more important than, you know, being, you know, a brilliant chipper of the golf ball. So just, again, being aware of their strengths and keeping those strong and working on the, the areas that need to improve. And building a yearly plan and then ultimately possibly a two or three year plan and, and really, you know, looking at more a, a long term view. So that's kind of a, what we do at the beginning when we, we have a player enter our program. Maybe give us a, an insight into what a week looks like, what a couple of weeks look like, where you balance, you know, working on those strengths and weaknesses and how you actually do that. Let's just say maybe it's during kind of an off season. So no tournaments, particularly during this time, but maybe there's one, you know, coming up in the next couple of weeks or something like that. Would love to, uh, would love to hear an example of that. So, you know, our player is going to take a half day or a day off a week, maybe a day and a half off a week. If they're in school, it would look different than if they're, you know, if they're a professional mini tour player, our guys generally will have, they'll be working out minimum three, sometimes five days a week, but they'll definitely have a, a warm up and a cool down that'll have, you know, remedial exercises in it that they'll be doing daily. From a skill standpoint, let's take uh, a player who, you know, maybe their iron play uh, needs to improve and we've got a tournament coming up. So we'll know, geez, there's going to be a lot of shots in that 150 to 200 yard range. Now they're going to play golf almost every day, or maybe they're going to play nine every day. But they're going to they're going to get to the golf course. They're going to do their their warm up, and they're going to do their maintenance practice, work on their alignment, work on their setup, work on their posture, 
a little bit and just do their maintenance practice. And then they're going to start, you know, working draws and working fades around alignment stick. Then they're going to test themselves. Okay, I've got an iron test on on this uh, radar device, and we're going to, you know, my standard today is, geez, I want to get, you know, I want to get, let's say, 85 points on it. So they'll do that. They might do it twice to try and do that. They might do it three times to try and do that. Then they'll move on. Obviously, there's other parts of the game, Corey, they're going to work on. They're going to work their, their maintenance putting specifically. I'm not sure if, uh, you know, if they're working on their, they'll do their putting drills. I'm not sure, like, you know, where there's a, there's a zillion of them. I, they'll, they'll work on their speed control. They'll work on their start line. They'll work on lag putting. They'll work a little bit on aim point. Again, after they do that, they'll be testing. I'm not sure, you know, I'm rambling on a little bit, but I'm not sure specifically what you'd like. Yeah, yeah. How detailed is a practice plan that, you know, one of your players is working on? Like, how much is it going out there and just kind of making stuff up as they go? Or is it all written out and all and all detailed for them? Yeah, I've, I've got a couple I could send you for players. I like it fairly detailed. Like, I, I, I like guys to have an opportunity to do, you know, say 30, 40, 50%, depending on the players, of what, you know, drills they love to do, things they do generally on a daily basis. Like, they're going to obviously practice there. I like them to have the freedom to have, you know, a specific amount of time for themselves. And then I also want to plan, hey, I want you doing this. I want you doing that. You know, I want my guys working on on their alignment every day, you know, or almost every day. I want them to work in their wedge play with cones or with some type of device to practice distance control. I'm going to have them do that three, four times a week minimum if it's an off week, sometimes more, maybe possibly every day if they have lots of time, but certainly they're going to do it two or three or uh, times a week. I want them to work in their T-ball every single day. You know, I want them to, and I want them to work not only the, t- the driver, but I want them to work on what I call their second serve. It could be their three-wood or their, their hybrid or, or two-iron, three-iron. Obviously, they're going, to, they're going to do some short game work every day. They're going to work on their, you know, their, their putting every single day. So, but I, I like them to have a little bit of freedom. I don't want them to go without a plan. And I like some guys love a plan. I'll tell them exactly what to do. And other guys have, have a pretty good, you know, plan in place. And I'll say, I want you to make sure you do these three or four things every single day. Gotcha. We've come a long way here. <laughs> what else am I missing? If we miss talking about something that you feel like, a, you know, is a, is a key part of, you know, working with these teams at what you do? Like, is there, is there some massive, you know, piece to this performance puzzle that we've missed here? Anything pop to mind? I would say, you know, one thing that really made a big difference in Canada to, was, was having heroes or having somebody that, that can do it. And, you know, a long time ago, Mike Weir, I mean, at one time we had one or two, maybe three players in the PGA Tour. And, and often we, for a lot of years, we had one. But having having heroes who could, they could look up to and say, wow, you know, Mike Weir won the, the, uh, the Masters in 2003. He was a former number three or four player in the world. You know, he's got eight PGA Tour wins, maybe nine. You know, creating heroes and having uh, guys to look up to, that's, that's been really important for our program. Now guys go, hey, I can do that as well. And there's strength in numbers. You know, when you have one or two players in the PGA Tour, you're not going to get many wins on the PGA Tour. But when you have, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, we always have some guys playing well. So younger players, amateur players, junior players in Canada are always looking at the PGA Tour, the LPGA Tour in, in Brooks' case and other players in the LPGA Tour and going, hey, geez, I can do that as well. I'd say another thing that's been kind of cool that we've been been able to do is we've had players like Corey and Nick Taylor and Adam Hadwin, you know, Mackenzie Hughes, 
they've come back and they, they come to our series of training camps and they train and practice with the guys. That's been really cool as well because they can say, oh, wow, I mean, I can't believe how far away I am this from this guy. I'll never beat him. Or they can look and go, geez, you know, I'm really not that far away. You know, my game stacks up reasonably well. You know, I can do this as well, given the right time and effort that's that's obviously required. And and and, and again, being able to talk to those guys about what they do and how they how they work in their game, I think has really been uh, useful. So I would say those are two really nice components for our program. Yeah, those are a couple things. And I would say, just trying to think what else has made a big difference in Canada for us. Uh, having some great relationships with college coaches and, and, you know, guys who do a really good job and, and maybe our players tend to go to those, some of those programs uh, has been very useful as well. There's some excellent college coaches that we've got great relationships where we can go and work with our players at that college. So that's been super helpful as well. This has been awesome, man. I think I've got enough there for a great episode for cool. sure. Talking about that goal that we set out. Do you want to run through some rapid fire questions now for a little uh, in between episode? Love it. Also, love it. yeah, love it. Okay, awesome. This will span the gamut of of everything here. Cool. Um, but here we go. What is your favorite piece of uh, piece of golf gear that is in your in your bag right now? I'm a pin guy. Love their stuff. Uh, the, the new hybrid uh, uh, crossover uh, three hybrid, I love that. Love their new wedges as well. So uh, to pick one thing, I'm going to go with the. Uh, I've got the new uh, LST driver uh, four ten. I just mm. love that thing. That's that's my favorite uh, piece of gear. Ping drivers are ridiculous. The past couple of years, they're like Steve. You know, not like, not leaving my bag either. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. You have 18 holes to go play with some good friends of yours. What is the game that you all might play? Probably the most entertaining game is is uh, Wolf, where guys on the left versus guys on the right. You know, I love playing that game. What else do we love to play? Uh, oh, what's that name of that game? We always play. And we play, off, often play it in the fall. And you can relate to this, uh, Cordy, because you know you only have a week or two or a month left in the season, you're playing and it's freezing cold, it's snowing just about, you're just happy to be out there, and so you want to play, and so, you know, we play, we play a lot of uh, Wolf, too, uh, we play that, and, and you're just thrilled to be out there gambling. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And we're headed into that season. It's, yeah. uh, it is just about here. This is, uh, this is kind of an interesting question, but when your game's in the gutter, when you're just in that worst stretch of the year, what do you do to get yourself out of that? couple things. One, you look back to your top, you know, the things that you do when you're playing your best golf. You know, for me, um, it's usually having great tempo, you know, and knowing, oh, yeah, geez, I, I tend to move towards the ball when I'm struggling. The weight gets on the toes a little bit. So making sure I feel like I'm getting that that pressure to my my lead heel, you know, in my, in my downswing. Uh, I love a drill 25, 50, 75, 100, where I'll have a player have four balls, with a six or a seven iron, they'll have a full complete swing in balance, trying to hit 25 and solid, trying to hit 25% speed, then 50% speed, then 75% speed. Again, full complete swing in balance. And then 100, not quite 100, but maybe 90%. So that, that allows people to really get a feel for their body, how their body's moving. You know, it focuses on, you know, maybe some things because they, they may not know their swing is, you know, as fast as they possibly can at it and, and not be aware of that. So that 25, 50, 75 doing, you know, five, six, 10 reps with a six, seven, eight iron can make a big difference in helping people get it solid again. 
most memorable golf trip that you have taken? You know, I don't get to play because I'm coaching and on the course <laughs> all the time. I, I love to play. Uh, last year at the, at the St. Andrews Lynx Trophy, got to go to St. Andrews, the home of golf. And I, uh, I, I don't think I t- took my – maybe I did take my clubs, but I hopped on. I snuck on St. Andrews and got to play the last five holes at dusk. That was pretty cool. Uh, and the second one, second one is a long time ago, the U.S. as the British women's amateur was at Royal Port Rush. And uh, we finished a, you know, a little earlier than we want. We had a lot of players make the cut, but we lost our matches earlier. So I got up with our assistant coach, Robert, at maybe 4 or 4.30 in the morning and played the second course that Graham McDowell grew up right beside Port Rush at like 4.30 in the morning and whipped around in two hours. That was unreal as well. Very cool. That does sound, that sounds amazing. What instructor or coach in, in golf has had the biggest influence on you? Probably, uh, you know, there's a couple of local guys who are really important to me. Uh, a friend of mine and colleague, Garth Gibranson, you know, he's a coach, a teacher, but you know, the most modest guy in the world, he's, he's a super smart, he's forgotten more about the game than a lot of people know, but you know, people that would know, uh, that others would know, I'm a bit, uh, Chuck Cook is one of my favorite. He's a, a friend and a, a real mentor. I'm a, I'm a huge Chuck Cook fan. I love, uh, really love Jim Hardy. You know, I think he's a fantastic coach and, you know, obviously I like round swings, but, uh, you know, I, I like a guy who has repeatable ball flight with power as well. So I'm, a, I, it's, I don't teach everybody the same way. So I like Jim and Chuck modern day guys that are on the tour more often, uh, Cameron McCormick, uh, I, I think very highly of Cam. Do you have any strange habits or superstitions while playing golf when, when you're playing yourself? You know, one thing that's a little bit odd is I, probably play my best golf with my shoulders quite a bit open. I guess I have too much of an in-to-out path. And so sometimes I'll really crank those shoulders open and hit a lot of straight shots or, or cuts. And people will look at me and go, whoa, dude, your shoulders are really open. I'm like, I know, I've got one leg a little bit shorter. <laughs> and so in order for me to play, and I, I'm a pretty good player, I don't get to play much, but in order for me to play well, I have to get those shoulders open. So that's that's a bit odd. Uh, that's awesome. I love that one. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit odd. That, that's a good one. That's a good one. Let's say that you can only bring one piece of technology with you on a trip. What's going to make it into your suitcase? Oh, I have so many cool things. You limit me here. Uh, <laughs> what's gonna do? Oh, you got limited suitcase. You can only have a carry on. You you don't have a ton of room here. You can't pack it all in there. What are you What are you gonna bring? Got one thing. You got to teach for at least a couple days here at a tournament. Oh, I love this. I'm gonna take a. I'm gonna take a radar, a, a trackman flight scope, or a foresight. And if you want me, I'm gonna probably take the trackman, but. Uh, those other two are sweet as well. But, you know, I do want you to know, Cordy, I travel with a backpack with cones, chalk lines, tees, ball markers, a million training aids in there for, for to set up, you know, stuff for training camps. Uh, so I'm, I might just take the backpack and no technology, so, so, so stuff I can set up uh, drills and different challenges and skills, still skill tests. Love it. Let's end on this. High school golfer comes to you and, and says they want to play on tour. You've worked with a ton of guys that have made that journey. What is the advice that you give to that golfer? If he's uh, he's high school, so if he's grade nine or ten, I'm going to say make sure you continue to play some other sports that you love on top of golf because I want you to develop athleticism and explosivity, and I want you to develop competitiveness and and you know really compete and learn to battle because you can't be a world class player unless you're competitive as hell and you want to you want to you just love to compete and fight and battle 
So that's number one. Uh, and, you know, I love the athleticism of other sports that transition into golf. If they're a little bit older, I'm going to say develop the small, simple daily habits and routines and systems that are going to give you your best opportunities to, to, for success. Every day, work in your putting for an hour at least, and I'll tell you exactly what I want you to do. But develop those small, tiny systems, routines, and habits uh, that are going to give you long-term success. So that's what I'd say to them. 